Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Melbourne Steel Wars is back for three shows only in the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Friday, March 30th, Saturday, March 31st, and Monday, April the 2nd at 2pm at the Sub Club in Melbourne City. Plus, there is one weekend of I Love Green Guide Letters podcasts also. Tickets on sale now at SteelWars.com. What's up, guys? Welcome to Strathers Wars. I am Eric Strathers, and I do love Steel Wars. And in each episode, I find a Patreon supporter to talk about it with. In this episode, I talked to Chris Will, a super good dude, man. He picked some really good episode moments. I do have to say, we mistakenly attributed a clip to the interview episode that Steele did with Stephen Stanton. However, it turned out it's actually from call-in episode 29 with Robbo, which Stephen called into. The correct link will be in the description of this episode, so be sure to check it out. Let's do it. Well, Chris, first of all, I really appreciate you doing this. Sorry it took me so long to be able to hook up a decent time with you to make this happen, but uh, I sure do appreciate it. No problem. No problem at all. Well, so let me ask you this. When did you first get into Star Wars? Uh, I would say, so I'm a child of the 80s, that'd be mid-80s, probably, I think, a year or two after Jedi. Um, my Twitter photo is me um, playing with Star Wars toys on, um, on Christmas Day. And it's a scan of a Polaroid. That's how old that photo is. For anyone who doesn't know, uh, back in the day, we used to print photos out on pieces of paper uh, <laughs> before, before digital. And a Polaroid was an instant photo, and the photo came out of the camera. So, yeah, look that up, kids, if you haven't seen it. But, yeah, so um, I had, um, like, Star Wars and Christmas has always been quite big for me uh, because, like, you know, um, we get a lot of the toys during Christmas. So um, um, I had all the usual stuff, you know. I had my Falcon and my X-Wing and I had a, a few few more toys as well. I had, um, I had an Atat as well. So, yeah, I, I got into it from early age. I'd probably say well, I was about four, maybe five. I haven't dated the photo exactly, but um, it's one of my, my earliest Christmas memory is, is Star Wars toys on Christmas morning. Oh, man, me too. <laughs> me too. What's your favorite Star Wars movie? Yeah, the boring answer, which is Empire Strikes Back. I totally get uh, it. I do. I totally get it. Yeah, we had this weird TV deal over here where that Empire and um, Jedi used to play more on TV than the original Star Wars, uh, or New Hope, as it's now called. So we, I think I went a few years without seeing a New Hope on TV back when I was younger. 
because uh, when I was really young, you know, VHS players and, and recorders were only in their infancy. And um, a lot of people used to record the films off the TV because it took forever for, for stuff to come out on VHS. Right. When they did, it was that expensive. It wasn't cheap, I should say. It was quite expensive. I mean, now a spoil was less than six months and you got it digitally or on Blu-ray or whatever. But back then it was like, I don't know, well over a year, maybe two. Yeah, it was a really long time. A really long yeah, time. So, so when it was gone from the from the cinema, you know, it was a long old wait. So, yeah, I, I everyone's heard these stories before, but I, I used to have my VHS copy of Empire Strikes Back and Jedi and eventually A New Hope recorded off the tv um <laughs> used to used to pause it when the commercials came on and then unpause it quickly so that you would you wouldn't really get a break in there i know some people um uh, uh, have reminisced recently about how they found they remember their old vhs copy they record off the tv and all the weird commercials that used to be played back then oh, i used man. to pause it so you didn't have those commercials in there we pause the recording and then Take, then unpause it quickly and hope you didn't like mess it up yeah miss any little bits of it see what would happen to me is i would forget i'd be like oh i'm gonna run into the kitchen and get something really quickly and then forget, <laughs> forget all about it be like oh no did, did did they say who luke skywalker's father was in this <laughs> so yeah how, how did you how did you first discover steel wars um so i just been listening to a lot of podcasts about all sorts of different things and i was always very reluctant to get into um the star wars side mainly because i did i i steered away from getting into the sort of minutiae of everything and because of that the should we say the online community after the prequels i i, I didn't want to go deep dive into star wars anymore i just wanted to enjoy the content that was already out there because you know how people get around <laughs> around stuff. Because I, I I'd witness people like um, ridiculing other people for not knowing Dengar's like you know backstory online. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I was like, do you know what? This whole thing's dormant anyway. This is just after the prequels. No one, no one can take the films away from me, right? So I'll just enjoy what I've got. I, I don't need to like engage in. In, in, in this um so i was always quite reluctant to to listen to a star wars podcast in the beginning because i was like oh if they're going to start talking about stuff that's happened in which is now the the, the legacy books the old canon right. i'm not going to be able to i'm not going to be able to follow um and i didn't dive into the into those books because every time i went to i'd hear something bad like about evil clones or or or, or wookie killing moons um <laughs> So I was like, I, 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 yeah, it just, I don't want to poison the well. And it's easily done, especially with, you know, other, other fandoms, other big franchises. I didn't want to like taint things. So I, I just didn't get it. I didn't really get into the book. So, um, and because of that, I stayed away from a Star Wars podcast. I was like, oh, if they start talking about like that sort of thing, I'm not going to be able to follow. And it just seems a waste of time. So I was a big fan of the Weekly Planet, which is run by uh james and uh nick mason or mm -hmm. mr sunday movies and nick mason uh, and they would say every so often oh we've got a friend his name's steel saunders he runs a star wars podcast as well as a comedy podcast you should really check it out so i was like Do you know what 
hell with it. And it was just, uh, um, you know, it was during the lead up to The Force Awakens. So Star Wars was active again. And I'd only really been speaking Star Wars about my sort of direct friends because um, my friends are more casual fans. So we would speak about it and be like, oh my God, can you believe that Disney bought them and it's all starting up again and we're going to get, you know, all these new films. So I hadn't really been engaging it with anyone at all or, or um, or listening to that many. So I, I gave Steel's show um, a go and it's it was like the, the, one of the perfect listens for me because I love the interview format that Steel has with the way that Steel interviews people and the questions he asks and his his manner. It's it's like a talk show, but you can't see it. And he has such a, he has such a good way of, um, of, of peaking, uh, speaking to people and uh and of pulling pulling the thread on the interesting things that they've either experienced or when they had people on there who have been a part of um star wars that getting their interesting stories was just like fascinating to hear i always like the sort of people sort of talking about things they created or, or people talking about their fandom which is really interesting so i sort of just stumbled onto it by the weekly planet and that's led me to sort of re-engage mainly into the fandom i know lots of people have said this before but um like steel's brought me back into it because I'd, I'd i'd walked away from from it after the prequels because of you know we weren't getting any more films and right and when disney bought everything and steel's excitement in the lead up to force awakens was great to hear you know the you know, the interview shows and the live shows it was just, it was just he was just fueling the sort of the fire for the for the uh, the ramp up to the Force Awakens release, yeah, I had a similar experience just with my fandom sort of going to sleep because mm-hmm. I wasn't interested in the subculture that was <laughs> after the prequels, which is really pretty negative online overall. Yeah, well, I mean, either for or against the prequels, they were it was very negative and poisonous towards the other way of thinking. And I'm like, man, I don't I don't have time for this, but. The Disney, yeah. when Disney announced that they had bought Lucasfilm, it, it like reawakened it. And so, pardon the pun, but my, <laughs> my, my wife, that's one of her things. She's like, yeah, I totally didn't see this coming when we got married. I'm like, well, don't know what to tell you. But <laughs> I do, I do yeah. love Steel's format. You know, it's, do you have a particular episode that you would say is your favorite? I know that's kind of a loaded question. I... Uh, my my favorite is the one with his brother, with Craig. May, mainly because you know brothers have that sort of rapport that most people don't have. They've known each other for a while. They've been through a lot of stuff. They have that sort of like back and forth. Uh, I hate the word banter, but I'm going to use it. Uh, uh, that sort of back back and forth banter, where they're teasing each other uh, and they're reminiscing about old things. That's that's my favorite because they because when he's talking to him about them growing up and him like in star wars like him he'll say something and it'll just trigger a memory of something that's similar for me and the sort of their their relationship is is, is quite fun so that's probably my my favorite because it's so funny yeah i love that one i know this kind of breaks up the order a little bit but let's talk about yeah. that that's that's episode 93 and mm. what in particular what were your favorite chunks of it my favorite my favorite this is this is probably one of my favorite moments uh it's it's easily top five is the reveal 
of Craig's um, breakdancing crew's <laughs> name. Yeah, so what, what were the cool things then that you were into, other apart from kids? BMX, breakdancing. Yes. Hey, you, the Rocksteady crew, show yeah. us what to do. Make a break, make a move. Yeah, electric shrapnel, actually, we were. <laughs> What? Electric shrapnel? It was a rock steady crew. Um, no, but our, my, ah, oh. my crew, which was me and Cole Scary, was, was, <laughs> electric uh, shrapnel. electric shrapnel. <laughs> that sounds what the Emperor's got in his fingers that he gives Luke Skywalker. Electric shrapnel. It used to scout around Rosebud. Star Wars reference. <laughs> Electric shrapnel. What was your breakdance name? Oh, we just didn't have we didn't have separate names. We 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 were just Electric Shrapnel as a as a group. We only performed together. <laughs> Did you ever break dance in the streets? Like, did you ever do it out in, like, you know how, like, you see it in the movies, they're, like, break dancing. Like, did you ever, like, go down to the main street of Rosebud and... Yeah, we, yeah we'd throw down. Just... <laughs> On any street corner, electric shrapnel. <laughs> we ruled that joint with an iron fist. <laughs> I remember we went up to our cousin's house. For like just a visit and they lived in Glen Waverley or something. And there was going to be a, like there was a local breakdance crew and there was talk that they were going to challenge to a break off. Yeah, that's the way it was back in those days. <laughs> we put away the violence when we were 10 years old and just d- danced instead of fought, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I remember the, what was it? Beach Street. Beat Street was a lesson too, because you can't let the street beat you. Yeah, we actually, at the start of that movie, it was on a Tuesday night or something, in the bud, Electric Shrapnel took the stage just before the screen came up. What? Are, a you little, seri- are you serious? A little uh, impromptu, you know, busted a few moves out for, the, you, for you, about the seven people that were in the audience watching the movie. Are you telling the truth? No, it's true. True story. Did the cinema, were they aware of this? Oh, they, they told us to get back in our seats. <laughs> but I'm sure they appreciated it. So did you bring cardboard They didn't in? ask us back next week. <laughs> did you bring cardboard in with you? Or? No, we didn't carry cardboard in. So for the... Before Just before the screen came up, we ran down the aisle, jumped on the stage and did a few bit of a cold little bit of a helicopter and I was doing a bit of a crazy legs, you know, just for the opening just to salute the opening of Beach Street. <laughs> what was the Just in case there was any other crew in the audience just showing them the electric shrapnel. Oh what were the rival gangs had in the area? Down. Was there any rival gangs? No, I don't think there was actually. <laughs> You'd run them all out of I'd town. Run them all out of town. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's, I, I figured that'd be the first thing he said. <laughs> well, what else in that episode? I, you got a couple of things here, man. Tell me about them. Other moments I like was when they used to t- uh, torture each other with sayings from A New Hope. What's your, like, your favorite scene that you remember happening in Star Wars? My friend, 
He doesn't like you. Oh, yes. You used to do that to me all the time and it would freak me out. I was like, no, 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 like me. <laughs> That's a pretty good scene. Oh, uh, that is the best. Does that remind you of sneaking into bars when you're underage? And just, <laughs> oh, my friend, he doesn't like you. That is so good. I don't like you either. I'll be careful. You'll be dead. <laughs> Have you ever done the the Jedi hand wave to a doorman who won't let you in? To like, oh, that never it? happens to me. I mean, do, do you know who I am? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, Sorry, I kid, I kid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Let's jump up to the top of the list. The first one you mentioned was episode 16, which was uh, Mm. with Mike Nichols, the Phantom editor. Have you seen the Phantom edit? I have. I have, yeah, so I've I've seen it. Um, Copy I saw, I'm not sure if it's been changed since, it probably has. Copy I saw was like a VHS rip. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. which is um, tough going back to since Blu-ray became yeah. a thing. Um, when you look at it now, you're like, you know, I sit there thinking, I used to have a, re- like a really good VHS player. Did things really look this bad when we used to watch it on TV? So yeah, I've, I've seen the, the Phantom Edit. I followed the story because it was getting covered in the press here and it would get covered in, um, in Empire Magazine as well. It's a big publication here. And around the the sort of the myth of who is the Phantom editor. So the the VHS version come out. Yeah, it's crazy that you did it on the VHS tape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what was your process to do that? Uh, I, earlier, there the DV technology came out, which was basically a, a camcorder that would do all the uh, compression into digital um, onto tape, and that provided the fact that your computer didn't have to be very powerful to edit full screen video. So I took the VHS tape that came out, dumped it onto a mini DV cassette in sections, and uh, it was really at the cusp of the time when being able to edit a feature film on a personal computer was relatively impossible. Um, And it just happened to be that a hard drive became available with just enough space, uh, 20 gigs, to hold enough of the movie. And I would do little parts at a time because when I had moved to California, I was seeking employment. You know, you have jobs, you don't have jobs. And instead of sitting at home playing video games, that's just the way I was amusing myself. And had you come to California to be an editor? I uh, came here because I I wrote a movie and uh, I started working on it back there uh, in Illinois. And it kind of falls apart because people's uh, interests were just different. Here's people want to make movies. There people wanted to just be famous. Um, so, uh, I had a friend out here and he said, come and stay with me and see what you think of it. And so I just kind of came here with the whole idea of maybe I would just push that project to be here in California. Mm-hmm. But what happens is of course you have to learn how to survive for a while and during the survival time for fun on a Friday and Saturday night without money. I started re-editing the Phantom Menace. So then you would have put it back onto a videotape. Yeah. It mostly rested on the hard drive. You know, for a long because it never was one entire. It was pieces mm-hmm. for a long time, and I had a friend named Ryan who would come over, and he got a job at a place called Regent Entertainment, and uh, he kept looking at it all the time. And there was so much on there. He goes, "You know, you're just shy like ten minutes of the movie. You could put the whole thing on here, and I could like you know, watch it. You know, and and so that's kind of where it came to be. 
and I sort of made it into a whole complete package with credits, with, with everything on it. He took it to his work and started, he had been telling people at work about it, and uh, guys at work wanted to see it. They were just big fans, and he took a copy in, and uh, everybody was really respectful that they knew that there was some weird copyright infringement ideas floating around about that stuff. Napster had existed, and um, they would check it out for the weekend and watch it and have parties at their house. And guys would come over and drink beer and eat chips and watch this Phantom Edit, which it was always... That's one of the things that always comes up with people said it came to be known as the Phantom Edit, but it always was called that. That's even on the, the scroll. It was always yeah. called that. And so it started to get talked about and became like a little novelty thing in Hollywood. But that VHS, which was one VHS, got copied multiple times, and it was like one of these neat little viral video finds. I never came across it like some people have, where someone was selling it on a street corner, like or or anything like that. But yeah, I, so I I watched it after I heard rumors that it was you know pe- you know it's like Chinese whispers. People were saying, "Oh, it's so much better. It's this, it's that." Right. Uh, but I mean, there's it, only so much you can <laughs> so much you can edit out without you know either A, ruining the film, or, 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 or B, just cutting it right down to, like, you know, 100 minutes. Right. One of the cool things for people, if you've never seen the Phantom Edit, it is neat. Watch it with the commentary track. That was something that I really liked hearing his thought process and methodology because it went far past the, oh, I'll just chop this out because this character sucks. And he put so much thought into it to really, really tighten it up. And I like, I like the original still also, but the the version I have, I think is one of the, like the early DVD conversions and it's pretty rough, you know, watching it's like, ah, yeah, but I don't know if I'm going to go hunt down a a Blu-ray version of it or not, but. So let's talk about episode 77 with Julian Smirk, which, first of all, what a what a sweet interview to land for Steele. Mm. But what about that episode sticks out to you? One of the main things was Steele's had an axe to grind about trailer cuts. Right. Uh, what I mean by trailer cuts, guys, is not how the trailers cut together, is, is that things are presented in the trailer that don't end up in the film. Um, some of them are just shots and other things are like dialogue sections and people we wrongly in my opinion we we and i'm to blame as well we get attached to certain lines you know especially if they're iconic like chewy we're home we end up watching the trailers far too many times and it just gets grained (laughs) into your memory now on the trailers to the film there was a few scenes that were made iconic through the teasers and the trailers. The, the Kylo Ren igniting the saber in the snow. Yeah. The way that uh, Harrison Ford delivered the, um, the, the Chewy Wear home line. They're in the actual film. Yeah. Um, and I think it was the It's True All of It line as well in the main trailer. That when it played out in the film, it was different. Right. I... I had a. I didn't like that. Okay. I, I had a negative reaction to that because I'd yeah. grown so accustomed to to the, love these yeah. lines. I know that's funny. It's 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 interesting point that you bring up because as a kid, very impressionable, and those sound bites of a line of dialogue in a trailer or you know some iconic character like Han Solo saying something to you six months before you get to see the film 
um, they are kind of like little memory burns. They mm. kind of, you know, they get burnt into your memory and you, you really love them and enjoy them. And then when the movie comes out and it's not the same, yeah. it's a bit frustrating. For instance, It's True, All of It is <laughs> yeah. an iconic line. Yeah. But in 10 years' time, yep. when someone says that, it's like, you're not quoting the film, right? Like, right. <laughs> right. It's different. It's yeah. sort of evolved into be something else in the film. Is, is that giving any credence to the way it pans out? Is, is that a discussion point? It is. I mean, I think, you know, when, when JJ's working with the trailer editors and these things get changed for the final film, he, it is discussed about, although obviously in the case of, you know, these points where they are different, it doesn't, it doesn't become the be-all and end-all. Like, they don't decide that, oh, my God, because it's going to be different in the film, therefore, you know, we can't put it in the trailer this mm-hmm. way just because of the way films are made and the way JJ's process works. So it might have been exactly that way at that time in the edit in the film, and then it just evolved and changed, and they made it story-wise and the pacing of that scene might have you know, changed it to make something better about it work. Mm-hmm. Um, but it works in a different way that's not the same shot or a different, you know, chopped up piece of dialogue in the trailer works good in the trailer. So that's why they become different. And like I said to you, just on a personal level, I, it always used to frust- frustrate me as a kid and as a teenager watching trailers and then you see the film and that iconic soundbite of, of dialogue line is something else. It's like, why would they do that? Why? And being on the inside of it now, I see why they do it. It's mm. part of the process and it's just making the best film possible and making the best trailer possible might happen six months beforehand and then the film evolves and slightly, ever so slightly changes by the time it comes out. So, now- yeah. With the evolving of the film, and I guess you have worked on similar films, but more so with this, and you talk about once the filming is done and you've processed all the dailies, that's when the fun begins. And with a film like Star Wars where you've got droids and you've got mask characters and you've got CGI characters, and there's so much room for you guys to play with the scene and change things. Yeah. Like, is, is that fun to do? It, it is really fun to do. I mean, sometimes it is um, already pre-thought out. Like, we know exactly what's going to be in the frame and then some of this stuff has to be added and some of it's not there yet. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's fun to play with it to say, wouldn't it be cool if we had this in the frame even though it's not there and it was never intended to be there? So that is always fun to play around with because it's all... What's great about working in, in, on JJ's films and working with Marianne and Mary Jo is it's always about the material. It's never about, oh, I've got this great idea, so please use it, and it's my idea, so damn it, put it in. It's always about f- serving the film itself. And so when we're all focused on making the film better, if there's an idea that comes in that might cost a bunch of money because it's going to change a VFX shot or something like that, if it's worth it, JJ will definitely give it the time of day and then look at doing it. Um, so, so those things are always, always constantly evolving and changing. And also you've got to concentrate on making sure it syncs up with Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> when you play it backwards. Yeah. Yeah, with, the you, Be- with Beatles in the background. Have you heard that one? No, I haven't heard this <laughs> one. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Really? Apparently it syncs up. Oh, my so God. You had a lot of extra free time <laughs> to make sure that happened. Well, yes, we purposefully made sure it sunk up backwards <laughs> to Pink Floyd's the, you know, the wall. I always assumed that a movie would just evolve over time. So if you put a trailer out a year before the movie is released, and you probably have minor reshoots in there as well in between, things you originally planned, you decide you want to change those or add new bits in or take stuff out, or, or, or maybe just change the flow of a, of a scene. So I always assumed that things would evolve over a period of time. So when stuff gets shot out, it, it doesn't really um, stand out that much to me. Um, previously, but this um, for, for the Force Awakens was the first time I really noticed it. I, um, I didn't get as heated about it as, um, as 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 some others, but it was interesting to see, like, well, interesting to hear that Julian felt, you know, differently about that. Yeah, I really like that too. But and I'm, I can see both sides of it, but I'm I'm with your line of thinking that over time things are going to evolve. Like I know for me, like from a, a musician standpoint, when I'm in a recording project, you're really never done. It's just, you run out of time. Like everything can be tweaked and, Oh, this could be better. And Oh, that could be better because it's not like the moments in the force awakens trailers were like what we got with rogue one, you know, where they had to drastically change directions. And there's a ton of stuff that's not even part of the storyline anymore, much less in the movie. But that is cool. And <laughs> any of the behind the scenes stuff like that with somebody who's actually worked on the films is one of my makes for my favorite episodes, you know? Yeah. Let's talk about let's talk about episode 126 with Stephen Stanton. And I'll just say personally, I got to talk to Stephen uh, on the phone and just, I could listen to him talk about anything. Of course, I love his impressions and his voice work, but mm. it's just listening to him talk about the the industry itself and he is incredibly knowledgeable about like film history and actors mm. and because my wife is like super into movies from like the like Cary Grant era that's the sort of thing she loves those movies and he he knew a ton about them but what's what's your favorite takeaway from that one so the thing I found interesting about this episode was when they started talking about Peter Cushing and Tarkin. I'd seen Peter Cushing on loads of stuff over here because Peter Cushing kind of a big deal. Right. Um, Sherlock Holmes. Um, he was in a lot of the Hammer Horror stuff. Um, I think he played Van Helsing in those as well. So, But he was well known. So when the original film came out, Peter Cushing's face and name was on it. People here would have known who that was and would have gone. So it was just interesting that He'd studied him so much and said that Peter had actually used to speak very differently. You know you're odd, Stephen. Well, you know, and I have to talk to you guys about this because I don't know if any of you guys have ever read Peter Cushing's autobiography, or even better, listen to it on Books on Tape, which I actually have a copy of, where he reads his autobiography out loud. Peter Cushing talks very much about 
you know, he, he was very aware of that, the way he spoke with the trilling R's and something. It was something he affected to get into acting school. When he tried to, it was a very, very young man. He went to a very renowned acting school. I don't know if it was in London or, or somewhere not too far from where he lived. And he remembers the, the secretary letting him into the office and the headmaster of the school says something like, you know, why do you want to be here? Why do you want to be on this? You know, do what it is you want to do. And Peter Cushing says, and he says, he goes, witnesses to the event said it sounded like this. I said, I want to be on a stage. <laughs> and, and, and the headmaster said, get out and don't come back until you learn how to talk, until you learn how to speak. And the secretary took uh, sort of like, uh, she's like, all right, I feel sorry for this guy. She gave him a whole bunch of exercises to do. And he said he would walk around, you know, in the park saying, how now, brown cow, you know, interrupting people, making out in the bushes and things like that. And he developed that because he said he had a very sort of a, a very unsophisticated English accent. So he developed that what we all hear in the films uh, so he could get into acting school, which is why when I was studying the accent and the way he spoke for, you know, the Clone Wars, I always found inconsistencies where he wouldn't always do the same pronunciation all the time. And it was because it was something, it was something, it wasn't, it wasn't um, something that was uh, organic. organic to him. It was something that he quote unquote put on, but came, became a part of his persona, but it wasn't natural. It wasn't the way he grew up speaking. So it's a really interesting story well, to me. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. So in a way, he was a voice actor himself. He was. And let me tell you something. I have recently, if you can ever get your hands on it, it's still around there. In 1971, Peter Cushing did the audiobooks of The Return of Sherlock Holmes. He originally did it for an organization which is like, out here in the United States, it would be called something like a Lighthouse for the Blind, where you read books for people who are blind. And he did these audiobooks of The Return of Sherlock Holmes, and he does all the characters. He does American accents, he does Scottish and Irish and everything. If you've only seen Peter Cushing in the movies, it is a revelation to hear him do these audiobooks. It'll blow you away. The thought of Peter Cushing doing an American accent just sounds like unbelievable. To I bet it have better than a real American accent. It is. It's funny when you listen to do his American accent, you can catch touches. It's, it's just like any, any of us from different countries. You can always catch your native accent coming through. And you can do that with his American. But it was so unexpected because I've read all the Sherlock Holmes stories and I love them all. And uh, this was, I think, the um, I can't remember the exact title, the, 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 the Something of the Dancing Men, the Tale of the Dancing Men or something like that. He does an American accent in that one, and it's 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 worth it. I would say go out and buy it just to hear him do an American accent, and he does Scottish and, and Irish and everything else. It's it's wonderful, and you get to see a whole other side of him as an actor. But can he do Steel Saunders? Can he do Steel Saunders? I was just asked that. I don't know. Well, we may never know the answer to that question. I, I like it how you're running your own call-in show there in California. You've got a little audience of people chiming in with suggestions, a little chat room of your own. We have a the, whole um, bootleg thing. We're like, hey, guys, come on in. We've got to talk about Batman slot machines and pinballs and pokies or whatever they're called over there. And, uh, yeah, then next we're going to talk about Battlestar Galactica, my favorite show. 
And uh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've, you've mastered the Australian accent. Is there any... Outside of Tarkin, who, which voice that Stephen performs is your favorite? AP5. <laughs> Mine <Which> too. <laughs> I think some people do and don't like. Um, I, I would love to see more of AP5. I'd love to see that character in um, the films. Um, it's, uh, I, feel, I, I don't know how everyone else feels. I'm quite attached to that because it's very similar to Alan Rickman, who we lost this year, who, um, who, who's, who's done a lot of stuff. Obviously, uh, people who follow Harry Potter are fully aware of Alan Rickman. Right. Um, you know, also as well, you know, probably the one of the um, household names when it comes to villains, you know, he's been part of Die Hard um, as well. So, um, it's it's not it's not like a, a impersonation of Alan, but it, it's quite similar. I just really like I just really like the voice um, and how dry it is. Um, I think it's a really great foil for um, Chopper in 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 Rebels. Their relationship um, I quite I really like. Um, I, I yeah I made a joke that I would happily swap out three PO for AP five in the films and some people <laughs> some people didn't agree. Now, now how about and I I love this episode in particular when I was trying to pull clips of it for Steel to use it I'm like where do I start and where do I stop it's impossible to choose and that's episode one thirty two with Nick Mason. Now tell me what what about what's the God, that was horrible. So, so tell me, <laughs> what what about this one? Do you love? What I love about this is the it, it, this is this is the return, I believe, of George Lucas to um, Steele's live show. Yes, um, <laughs> fresh from his adventures with noodles, um, now on to his man hunting adventures. But you don't think it's it's your time to come back then and make something that the people that you'll be proud of? Yeah, I really want to come back and I want to make movies for these people <laughs> who are mean to me and make my life a living hell. No, I'm going back to my ranch. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get back into sculpture. Me and Francis are going to go out there. And we're going to hunt people with knives we've built ourselves <laughs> out of human bones. That's what we do now. You haven't, when was the last film Francis Ford Coppola made? He's not making films anymore. He's making knives. Yeah, he's making knives to wow. hunt humans. You should come with me, Mason. You, you'll change as a man. You'll be a different person now, and you realize there's nothing more real than hunting another human being. Stalking them for days. Hearing them whimper in the night. They can never sleep again. And then before you know it, as they drift off, I'm just going to get a little shut-eye. You push a knife through the back of their neck, and it goes up. <laughs> And they see it. And they go, I've been hunted. That's the last thing they say. I've been hunted. What a weird thing to say before you die. It's really weird. Oh, yeah, but it's fun. You should come along. Okay. I thought it was interesting that Poe Dameron is apparently going to lose another X-Wing. Is that his... Is that his signature move? Is just to stare as his X-wing is blown up. They're there to lose. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. 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 But the the, the ground crew have taken all the the trouble to paint it black. He's just going to let it go. Well, the it's painted black to 
avoid some sort of radar detection. It's not just a... Uh, do you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. it's, he's not just doing chap laps mm. in that. Like, he hasn't just put a, <laughs> a spoiler for no reason. The black yep. is painted for... It's some um, invisible paint, you know? Phantom Does, black. There we go. Phantom black. Phantom black. Phantom black. <laughs> That's the, it's actually also the name of the band... Uh, Phantom Black is a death metal group that me and Francis play. We're hunting humans. <laughs> They'll hear it playing. Do 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 do. Scares them. <laughs> Imagine that you're in the forest being hunted by George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola, and then you hear death metal being played. Uh, chill you to your bones. <laughs> Many people would pay for the honor. Yeah, they would. Most of them do. That's how you do it. You get an invite. Come to the, come to the Skywalker Ranch, and they're like, Oh, great! I get to go. And they don't realize what's going to happen. They arrive, they put their bags down, and then I get a gun. I go, run. <laughs> run. Run. And they run off. It's great. Now, how about episode 134 with Mike Quinn? Yeah, this is, this is like, fascinating to me because Mike was sort of letting us into trade secrets. He was talking about Neen Numb and Yoda. He talks to Steele about his experience working with, with Mark Hamill on the sets and with Yoda. It's all really, really fascinating stuff. Now, the other uh, sort of very exciting thing that you're involved <coughs> with on Return of the Jedi was uh, Yoda. I, I believe, yeah. I believe you were in control of one of the hands. Yeah, the right hand. Yeah, just like I used to do with... Uh, for Fozzie Bear with, with Frank Oz and, and sometimes with Miss Piggy. So so I'd already performed that role with Frank and, and Muppet characters for, for him. So he knew what I was able to do and, and chose me to do it for Yoda as well. Plus I'm small, you know, and I'm, I don't, it's, Yoda's heart is a very small area. Yeah, so I, being, being small, you can tuck in out of the way a lot easier too. Yeah, I, I don't want to flatter you too much, but his right hand has always been my favorite, Mike. Oh, thank you. More than the left? <laughs> Way more than the left. Way well, the more. left is always like he's always got the cane. I mean, what can you do with when you're holding a cane, right? So, <laughs> the the puppetry and and the character of Yoda is you know amazing, and and obviously it was quite groundbreaking. But I always think that Mark Hamill's a bit undersold in. Like, we believed in Yoda because it, it seemed like Mark Hamill believed in Yoda. <clears throat> uh-huh. What was it like watching him on set? Oh, very good. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, um, let's see, Mark during Jedi, he was, he was in a good place. Um, he was a lot of fun to work with, actually, and he was really enjoying it all. And and he he used to sort of, sort of uh, laugh because he'd say, "Oh, I, I, back when we started this, I used to be the youngest person on set," and then he'd look at me and say, "Now you are," and he kind of <laughs> was feeling like he was getting old or something, but. Uh, now he's Mark's always always uh, uh, great fun actually you know he's he's he knows when to when to when to lighten up and when not you know uh, so yeah I like Mark a lot we we did have a good laugh on on one uh, part of the of the Yoda shoot where uh, um, when when you do the singles of each character usually um, the actor will stand next to the lens and read their off lines for eye lines and 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 the acting and that kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, even though they're not on you know they're not being seen they'll just stand literally next to the, the lens uh, for so so we did that for um you know Frank would hold Yoda up next to the lens for for, for Mark Hamill's eye lines and for the acting and all that kind of thing 
Uh, and then when it came time to swing the camera around to do Yoda's close-ups, then then Mark's, Mark's asked Yoda, would you like me to stand next to, to the lens for your eyeline? <laughs> and of course, Frank and all of us just burst out laughing. He said, sorry, Mark, Yoda can't see, he's a puppet. These aren't really eyes, you know, and everyone laughed. And poor, poor Mark sort of turned red and got all embarrassed because he realized what he said. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Classic, classic moments. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great insight into me now. I mean, he talks about how, because I thought, like many other people, that that was a man in a suit. In I did too. Jedi. I did yeah, too. And then Mike reveals that it is, it's, just, it's a, it's a, torso and a head and it's a, a puppet in a rig uh, and that now he's working on the new stuff he gets to wear a suit and uh, and be more more of a traditional character i should say you know rather than having this having to work this giant puppet from like the waist up well transition from like behind the scenes in star wars your your next your last pick in the list is sort of a behind the scenes in star wars podcasting and that's episode 143 with one mr hawes burkhart you know hawes is i'm sure that just about everybody who listens to this podcast listens to blue harvest and rogue one which you know hawes is a behind both of those um, there's a million spots in this that I love, but it, this isn't about what I like. It's about what you like. So <laughs> tell me, tell me what it is about this episode. Oh gosh. So horses, horse is one of my, um, favorite podcasters, probably favorite people that I've come across in the last few years. Um, obviously outside of steel and, um, yourself, Eric, um, <laughs> good save, man. So, I was just hovering. <laughs> I was hovering over the end call just button waiting. right now. Just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anytime now, anytime. Um, so I didn't. I called in on a call-in show around about Rogue One's release, just after I think. Yes, it was just after because we were talking about the cuts, you know, the big changes to Rogue One, and and uh, I didn't know who Hawes was, and uh, it was on a sort of a, uh, the call-in show was on a friendly time for me, so I called in and we were talking about the, the cuts there thing and I, I had a really good time and <clears throat> Horse really knew his stuff and he was you know very very welcoming and 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 good fun sort of so I ended up just checking him out because still said I'll check out his show he does Blue Harvest also does Rogue One so I just checked out both of those and listened to a couple and then very quickly went right to the beginning and just binged through the whole Blue Harvest and Rogue One backlog. This show is like the two, what two of my favourite podcasters having a, a chat and having fun with each other. Background characters. When I was a kid, I was way into the aliens in the Cantina, but then once I really started paying attention to uh, Empire Strikes Back, I was. Ever since then, I've been all about the bounty hunters. So probably IG eighty eight. As a background character. So want to see him walk. I so want to see him walk. I just want to see something from those guys show up again. Because the weird thing about the Bounty Hunters or IG-88, it's just like he was just a bunch of metal. Like he he never, like we never saw him move at all. No. 
Did it, like, well, e- does e- his head move a little? I don't know. Does it? I, I don't know if that's just in my head, but I feel like the, the head or the eye does swivel a little bit. This might be a King Tom thinking he can hear the Ewoks blink type thing for me, though. But I swear it moves a little bit. All right. I'm, I'm going to YouTube on this one because <coughs> this is what happens. If you just talk about it and don't resolve it on the podcast, you have people like coming at you. Um, you know, with, yes, it moves, or no, it doesn't, and <laughs> so we've got to resolve it. Okay, Empire Strikes Back bounty hunter scene full. Wait there. Can you hear this? No. Okay. But I'm watching it as well. Okay. All right, so two Imperials are down in the trench. They're just checking out a, a glowing light. Bounty hunters, we don't need those scum. Bosk's toes hanging over. He does something. Mm-hmm. Fall on sort of swaying. <laughs> About to fall over. Zuckus, he's moving. Bit of movement yeah. off Zuckus, swaying from side to side. <laughs> oh, it definitely moved. Oh my it god, it's moving! Moved. Yes. It definitely moved. It moved. Oh, it doesn't stop moving. It just keeps going. It's almost stealing the scene. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) It moves so much. Hey, when you're IG-88, you got to keep your head on a swivel. (laughs) You're making plans, you know. Oh, my God. And to think I go on about Ewoks blinking and I never notice that. <laughs> it's, just, like, it's just not something you normally hear like uh, on, on like, uh, a podcast, two guys, like going back to something they've seen a hundred times and seeing something new and then laughing about it. Um, and sort of Horse tells his, um, should we say, origin story, for lack of a better description on this, which is really fun. Yeah, it's <laughs> amazing. Life was how Horst explains that his parents used to part own two McDonald's. Speaking of that, my dad, when I was a kid, when we would go see movies, like typically after school, I would go hang out at the McDonald's. So I would be at the McDonald's from, you know, 3.30 until 6.30 or 7, whenever one of my parents decided it was time to leave. Right? Did you, wait, wait, did you ever own it during like when they had a McDonald's like Star Wars promotion? No. Unfortunately, that's what I was going to say. So they had McDonald's when I was born. So like 83 until I was in like fifth grade. And so basically they owned a McDonald's in the dead Star Wars time, like during the dark times when there was no Star Wars. So selfish of them. (laughs) But (laughs) they did have a really cool Super Mario 3 promotion with some cool Happy Meal toys that I remember. Um, But... Uh, my dad would load up a huge paper McDonald's sack with cheeseburgers and hamburgers. He would put me in the car. We would go to the local theater that was like a tiny little two-screener. He would walk up to the window, give the dude the sack of hamburgers, and we would just go watch a movie. Like we, <laughs> That's how he paid. For, McDonald's hamburgers were his <laughs> currency, son. I don't know that I've ever told that story on any of the podcasts. I, I, I saved that for a Steel Wars exclusive. And, dude, the theater people were stoked. They would come up to the ticket window and be like, oh, give me a cheeseburger. 
Like, they would be stoked. You'd hear them all excited. That's how I saw Ghostbusters 2. Oh, my Paid for God. by cheeseburgers. Because so, parents, like, they always, this is the job of a parent, is to complain about the rising costs of going to a cinema every time you go to a cinema. You know, the, the, the food's too much, the ticket's so much. Yep. Did, did your father ever go, oh, I can't believe going to see Ghostbusters 2, that was 15 hamburgers. Ghostbusters 1 was eight. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, man, you put together a great list of episodes, and uh, I appreciate your hard work doing this. You, The format in which Chris sent these to me is unbelievable, and I will use it as a future guide for other guests on <laughs> Stratosaurus. <laughs> Um, thanks so much for, oh. for doing this. I appreciate your time. We had a great time right. and uh, a little behind the scenes for this particular show. Chris and I spent like an hour before we even started recording the show, just talking. It's a super cool dude, man. Um, no, it's absolute pleasure to sit down and talk to you today about, um, our mutual appreciation for, um, Steele and what he does and all the people he's had on the show's been with me for what last couple of years or so. And it, it's nice to uh, share my appreciation and let people know how good it is. Well, sweet, man. Thanks so much. No problem. Thank you. And there we have it. This is a really fun show to do. And uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed doing it. And I hope that you go and check out the full-length versions of each one of these episodes that we talked about. Chris picked some good ones. And... If you are a Patreon supporter and you would like to be on an episode of Strathers Wars, all you got to do is comment on the Patreon post for this episode and I will get in touch with you. And I've got a couple other people in line, so if you've commented on one of the posts, don't worry. I'll be getting in touch with you very, very soon. And if you're not a Patreon supporter yet, you can fix that right now. Just head to patreon.com slash steelwars and check it out. Definitely worth it, and you'll have more podcasts than you know what to do with. Sweet, sweet content. Anyway, thanks for listening, and until next time. Hey guys, Steel here. I just want to point out that Eric Struthers never mentions this at the end of the podcast, but he does host a really fun Star Wars podcast called The Bad Motivators with our friends Dallas and Luke. So uh, if you enjoy his uh, lovely lovely tones in your ears uh check out the bad motivators it's at bad underscore motivators on twitter and wherever you get podcasts and all that good stuff cheers you guys i'm out of here and may that force be with you Hey, you guys, if you've stuck along with the episode for this long, then we're obviously doing something right. So tell the world by going onto iTunes and leaving us a sweet five-star review. It bumps us up the rankings, vouches to other potential listeners that we're doing good stuff, and also makes your host feel warm inside. If you have a couple of seconds to spare to post one up, I'd really appreciate it. And I will see you on the next episode. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.